Welcome to the Real Talk with Real Women podcast, where we take an honest look at the lies we believe as women and how the truth of the gospel can set us free. Hey, ladies, welcome to Real Talk with Real Women. I'm your co-host, Brooke. And I'm your co-host, Mary. And today we're talking about marriage. Marriage. <laughs> <laughs> that is what brings us together today. That was kind of a French accent. I don't know what happened right there. Accents are not my forte, okay? Also, neither is carving pumpkins. You know, <laughs> I know that sounds random. It does sound random. But I just had this, I said that exact same thing. It is not my forte with carving pumpkins because I just got reminded of my timeline of college when I carved a pumpkin. And this is relevant because it's Halloween today. But right. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. So I had carved a pumpkin and somehow I carved it upside down. And I didn't realize what? until after I carved it up. Yeah. No, no, no. I have a question. Yes. The top has a stem. Right. So how were you, how was it like sitting on the surface? You know, at some point I had seen someone use the bottom part like with the stem as the bottom. So they flipped the pumpkin upside down. And so I was like, maybe everyone does it that way. No. And so I carved my pumpkin as such. And then I realized that everyone had done it the other way around. Yeah. So we took this group picture and my pumpkin <laughs> is upside down and everyone's else. It was abstract. You were looking, you were thinking outside the box. I was, yes. Pumpkin carving is hard. It is. And then this past week, I was carving another pumpkin, and I, like, literally took a picture of it, and I was like, it doesn't look like I carved the pumpkin at all. Like, Why? You didn't make any, like, holes in it? Well, I did, but they just, like, were tiny. Oh. It just looked like I was holding a straight-up pumpkin. Was it daytime or nighttime? It was nighttime with a candle. Did you have a candle in it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> if that tells you anything about my pumpkin carving skills... Whatever. But I do like to roast the pumpkin seeds. Have you ever done that? Yes. Delicious. Do you do sweet or savory? Savory. I don't even know if anyone does sweet. You could. Something to try. Yeah. All right. So anyways, totally got off on a tangent. Super quick. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> um, but today we are talking about marriage and we are excited about this. We're both married. We got married within about a year of each other. Yeah. Brooke, how long have you been married? Four years. I've been married five. Wow. That's a milestone. Five years? It is a milestone. That's it was interesting to celebrate a fifth wedding anniversary during COVID. What'd you guys do? I don't think we did anything. <laughs> <laughs> we went to dinner, but, you know, it's weird because you have to, because going out to dinner is weird right now. Right. right. Well, hey, next there's always next year. There's always next year. And so, you know, neither one of us are experts on marriage. <laughs> I don't know if anyone is an expert on marriage. I don't know if that's possible. But you got four and five years of experience, so we're going to do our best. <laughs> Hopefully we learned something today. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so speaking of marriage, uh, if you're married, that means you probably had a wedding. I mean, not everyone does that. but Especially I think, this year. Right. Yeah. Jeez. Props to all the brides out there who are getting married this year because mm -hmm. you're doing an amazing thing. But, Mary, what was your favorite or most funny memory from your wedding? I loved my wedding. It was so fun. And um, it was, we got married in a venue in Georgia that was right next to some train tracks, which is pretty classic in Georgia. There's lots of train tracks around. Um, and so, you know, as the wedding was starting and all of the family members and bridesmaids and groomsmen are going down the aisle, everything's all sweet and wonderful. And then right at the exact moment, you could not have planned this out, as the doors open for, for me to walk down the aisle with my dad, a 
train goes by at the exact moment and it is so loud, like it shakes the building. And that was my entrance <laughs> down the aisle. And so, you know, props to you, Billy. <laughs> He's like, what am I he getting He sees into? his bride and then it's just like, <laughs> but it was kind of perfect. And so I think that that also like calmed some of my nerves too, because you could not help but just like die laughing yeah. at that. So I was just laughing the whole way down the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> Did everyone else laugh the whole way, too? I think so. That's I think amazing. so. It was a nice, like, it was very on-brand for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. What about you, Brooke? Do you have a favorite funny memory or any type of memory? Oh, man, yeah. So my reception was so much fun. We, like, came in, and it was like, we just, da- we went right into our first dance, which was, um, if you know me, the Napoleon Dynamite dance. So, Ethan, you are such a champ. He learned the whole dance, and I I had learned the dance backstory back in seventh grade. Uploaded a video of myself doing it to YouTube. It's still on YouTube. If you can find it, go for it. Um, but it kind of followed me throughout my whole life, and so I, I knew I had to do it at my wedding. So that was our first dance. That's we did really the sweet. My dance. Shout out, Ethan. Yeah, I mean, he worked hard. Yeah, <laughs> he's not a dancer, so. <laughs> Um, so that was fun. And then another funny memory was we were getting up from our dinner table to go like say hi to people. And I like started to stand up and then Ethan being the classic gentleman he was, he was pulling my chair out so I could stand up, but I got caught on my dress and like went back down, but the chair was gone. (laughs) So I landed on the floor hard and I like look up and our videographers right there filming the whole thing. Oh my gosh. Was everyone looking? No, thankfully, but, um, I did break my dress. (laughs) You broke your dress. Yeah, the buttons in the back popped off. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, you know, you're just having a good time. Yeah, so and you hopefully don't care. It stays on. Yeah, hopefully it stays on. The period it's supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. But yeah, so weddings are fun. Um, and yeah. So that's that launches us into our topic, which is marriage. And weddings are really just the beginning of marriage. Um, and I think a lot of times uh, we can get too wrapped up in the wedding day and forget that it really is the launching point for the rest of your life in a married relationship. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like I said, like, I think a lot of times we can focus too much on the wedding. But really, I'm curious, like, you know, I feel like the world says marriage is like one thing and for different purposes than what... I think scripture tells us. So, I mean, like, what do you think, Mary? Like, what do you think the world really thinks marriage is for? I think it's different depending on kind of how you grew up. But I think that for me, marriage was like the ultimate goal growing up. It's like that, that kind of means that you have like fulfilled like adulthood. Um, You've like reached this level of happiness, you know, I think that based on society and just like media and movies and everything. It's like everything leads up to marriage. And interesting that you said about the wedding, because I feel like everything leads up to the the wedding, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the wedding is a happy ending and then the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. It's like you don't see all, the rest of like, that's literally the first day right. <laughs> of the marriage. Um, but no, I think that for me growing up, definitely like I would say I idolized getting married and always thought that that was going to be something that was in my life and and always something that I desired. Um, And so I think that 
definitely like this ultimate fulfillment is is one way that the world kind of sheds light on marriage. Yeah. And you know what's curious, though? I feel like also people are kind of steering away from that and thinking like marriage is like this bad thing, too. Mm -hmm. And I guess it kind of depends which circle you're in. Like, I think a lot of what you described, I hear that in Christian circles. Yeah. And a lot of like other circles that aren't necessarily related to Christianity, it's kind of like, oh, it's like ball and chain kind of deal. Like um, you get married, like, but do you really want to? It just kind of feels like this pressure to do it because it's just what you do if you want to start a family. But I'm kind of seeing a shift away from it, Yeah, um, which is interesting to see. But it is kind of dependent on what circle you're in, I think. Um, And I think even like men and women, like mm -hmm. in in – circles of women a lot of times it is kind of like oh my gosh like you're gonna get married it's so exciting it's like the beginning of the rest of your life and you know sometimes circles of guys it's like oh well the fun's over you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) we need a real talk with real men podcast talking about all that stuff (laughs) yeah 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 and it's um I think it kind of points depending on what perspective you have like what the real purpose of marriage is supposed to be like is it for your happiness is Mm. it for legal purposes for your tax cuts i don't even know if you get tax cuts for being married Mm. i think (laughs) that's not my realm of expertise ethan handles that Um, but hey benefit (laughs) yeah whatever um but yeah i mean like it kind of asks the question like what really is the purpose of marriage like it's an institution it's legal and all that but we see it start in scripture like from the very beginning of time. Yeah. So, I mean, if we look at that, like the real root purpose of marriage is to be a picture of Christ and the church, our relationship with God, and to bring glory to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but like what does it really mean? I mean, that's kind of the church answer, right? But like what does that like really mean for that purpose to be lived out in marriage? Like what does that look like? Yeah, I think that if we look at marriage being you know, a picture of Christ and the church. It's this idea that Christ, you know, is, he lays down his life for the sake of his church and the love for his church and wanting the church to be built up, um, you know, in love and in unity. And for the church, it's this beautiful picture of like submitting to Christ and finding fulfillment in that submission to Christ. And, and together it is kind of this unified, um, I don't know, unit, I guess, um, to point ultimately to God and ultimately to God's good plan. And so you can see that in the way that, um, I mean, hopefully the way it's designed is that a man will lay down his life for his wife and to serve her and to love her and to lead her and to build her up. And in the same way, you know, the wife being in this analogy, the church submits to her husband and serves him in love as well. And so, by them being this unit together, they can show a beautiful picture of the gospel and of God. Um, obviously, we live in a broken world, and so that doesn't always play out exactly like it's supposed to, but that at least gives us this picture of of why marriage exists and how Scripture calls marriage a mystery, right, mm-hmm. a glorious mystery, because it represents the gospel. Yeah, and a word that comes to mind for me is covenant. Um, and just like this, like marriage isn't like always uh, roses and chocolates. Yeah, <laughs> I wish. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it really isn't. And so it's like when I think of covenant, I think of like God committed to this relationship with us and he knew we were broken and messed up and we were going to uh, hurt him repeatedly. And he was like, I'm all in. And he chooses us every day. And I think 
that is just something that's like realistic about marriage is like you're not always going to feel that deep, passionate love for each other. But are you going to choose each other every day knowing that there's going to be hurts down the road? There's going to be frustrations and disappointments. But are you all in with each other forever? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just such a beautiful picture of the gospel, I think, of like that covenant. Like, yeah, we are in it together for the long haul. Yeah, I was thinking when you were talking about weddings, how now when I go to a wedding and you listen to the vows and you're like, that is so it's beautiful, but like intense, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like you're standing before this other person saying like all those things you just said, like I'm committing to you when times are good, when times are hard, when I feel like it, when I don't. And you think about how to live that out. Like you have to have a savior. Mm -hmm. You have to have a savior. You have to have grace. And yeah, it's just crazy to like think, how when you say those vows, like you have no idea. I know people say that all the time, but it's true. When you're standing there saying them, you have no idea what what life holds and what hardships await and what great things await. But yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. I've like looked back at my vows. I'm like, I had no idea what I was promising. No. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought I could do this like, oh yeah, I got this. Yeah. Uh, But wow, those were hard vows to promise. And now I'm like, well, Lord, help me fill these, fulfill yes, these for you, Ethan. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I wanted to share a quote that I thought was really good about just how, you know, how through a Christian lens we should view marriage. Um, and this is a quote by Jackie Hill Perry. Um, so it, the quote says, The book of Genesis introduced us to the mystery of marriage, and Revelation concludes with the consummation of what marriage reveals. In Revelation, we're given a glimpse of what will happen once the church, Christ's bride, forgiven sinners, stainless saints, are finally at home with their bridegroom, who purchased their I do when he declared it is finished. This is the highest glory of the Christian life, to be married to the King of glory. Marriage is glorious, but it is not him. Though many have projected onto marriage what only God can give in himself, it is not God. It is a creation of God for the glory of God so that the world can get a picture of the gospel of God. Mm. So that's just a really rich picture that I thought was a great way to show, you know, that marriage really is this glorious thing that's designed by God, just like she said, and for the glory of God. But it itself is not our ultimate goal. It's not the ultimate thing for us. Um, Christ is. And so if that's one means that God uses for us to get closer to his heart— Um, That's fantastic, but it is not the only means, and it's not even the highest means. Yeah, and I think that kind of plays into that first lie that um, Nancy lays out in the book of I have to have a husband to be happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's a lot wrong with that sentence. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I have to have a husband Mm -hmm. to be happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, first of all, the goal of having a husband is not to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a byproduct sometimes, not all the time. Um, and you don't have to have a husband to be happy. I know yeah. a lot of happy single women and a, mm-hmm. a lot of unhappy married women and vice yeah. versa. <laughs> um, but th- I thought this was a good quote from the book. It says, happiness is not found in having everything we think we want, but in choosing to be satisfied with what God has already provided. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man... If you look at your, if you take a snapshot of your life right now, what, like, are you happy? Yeah. And that really applies if you're single or married or widowed or whatever. Um, and you have to ask, like, what does, 
what does true happiness look like and what is it founded on? Um, because if we look to anything other than Christ for that, like satisfaction and joy and fulfillment, uh, I think we're going to be let down because yeah. we're looking to broken things for that. Yeah, I think that, you know, it can be very easy, though, if you're not married to think like, well, marriage would solve some of my problems, right? It would at least solve this problem of loneliness. And I don't even think that's true. I think it's very possible to be lonely Mm -hmm. in a marriage um, and to feel still isolated and unfulfilled, even in that aspect where you think, oh, if I have a spouse, like I'm always going to have a companion and like someone with me, I'm never going to feel alone again. And that's just not true. Like in some instances, yes. And I think that is a perk, (laughs) a perk of having a spouse is that companionship, but that doesn't mean that it's going to like fix that problem. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that, yeah, like you're saying, Brooke, it's dangerous to think that marriage is going to, yeah, fix any problems or like fulfill any longings or desires because like only Jesus can satisfy those. Yeah. And like, I think one of the when we were talking about like what does the world portray like marriage as I feel like one of the the things that I see a lot is like find the perfect person for you Mm. that's going to check all these boxes and it's like I mean maybe momentarily someone could check all your boxes but people change over the course of your life and I think there's like this quote that says you you marry like five different you're I don't know exactly what the quote is but like you're the person you marry like goes through different seasons of life where it's like they're five different people yeah. <laughs> and it's like are you gonna choose to you're probably not gonna love each of those seasons of life as much as the others and um it's just like you you kind of have to know like your husband's broken uh he can bring happiness into your life but you know pain, brokenness brings pain and difficulty too and you're also going to bring that into your husband's life mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because you're broken as well um so I think it's just, yeah, that that lie that you have to have a husband to be happy is just kind of, you know, it's off it's off focus there. Yeah. Um and it also just focuses around yourself and your yeah. happiness and your hurts. And let me tell you, when you have that focus in marriage of like, I'm just thinking about myself, my happiness, that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't go well. No. I think anytime you're focusing exclusively on yourself, it doesn't go well in any relationships. But marriage is one of those that like, you know, I think it's it's obvious to say it really points out your flaws and Mm -hmm. your sin and shortcomings and just like how focused on ourselves we really are. Um, And and living life so closely with that other person, I think, exposes that a lot. Yeah. Um, So you have to kind of get comfortable facing (laughs) your crap, you know, yeah, and get comfortable, you know, and willing to let God change you just mm-hmm. as much as like you might want to change your husband. <laughs> yeah. Which, wow. Did you know that the next lie was, uh, it's your job to change my mate. It's my job to change my mate. My mate. My mate. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about saying that with an Australian accent and just not referencing it. But I don't know why I don't call Billy my mate more. Like, that's fun. Start it. Let me just... Let me just call my mate <laughs> real quick. <laughs> Yo, Billy. No, that, that, that took a different turn. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but no, this lie, you know, it's my job to change. I'm just going to say to change my husband or my spouse. Yeah, that <laughs> mate is distracting me. Um, but that lie, I have felt creep into my own life so much. It just is so easy to feel like all the issues have to do with the other person. Oh, yeah. And... I'm going to have to fix that. So here I go. You know what I mean? It just oh, gets so caught up in 
a need to control the other person. Yeah. I think that's just a a, a thing that women struggle with is that control aspect. Yeah. Um, and I really, I mean, in scripture, we see that we're called to be helpers, right? But I think we kind of cross that word out and replace it with fixers. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're a fixer, it really shows you're being a control freak. Yeah. And I think it. the scary thing about being a fixer is I think it like creeps in and you don't even realize it's happening. Yeah. Like I, this is something I'm currently really trying to work on in my life. Like if Ethan's sharing something with me, I'm like, I want to ask questions to understand, but then my questions questions slowly slip into like, well, let's find a solution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's not really helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes maybe if that's what my husband wants, but a lot of times that's not what he's looking for. He just wants to be heard. Yeah. And I think that's just something that I know I need to be careful about is like, what is what am I slipping into Am I let? Am I giving him the freedom to share honestly and openly, and like not cast judgment and not try to like fix whatever he's bringing to the table? Yeah, and I think that that's something that's really good to know going into marriage is that it kind of is impossible to change the other person. I think that can be really easy as well to think like, okay, if I'm dating this person and we're getting serious, like, sure, there's some things that I don't like about him, but I'll fix that when we're married or Mm -hmm. that I'll change that once we're married. And not necessarily even consciously, but you think like, okay, that's okay. Like, you know, I got that. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And the truth is like, sometimes, first of all, some things just don't need changing. Like, just because every single thing about your mate (laughs) doesn't live up to your expectations doesn't mean it's a bad thing that needs changing and if it is like you won't be the tool to do that it's it's gonna have to be god you you don't have that power and if you try and impose that power again it's gonna make it it just is so icky icky (laughs) it's icky icky (laughs) yeah it is yeah and i like this quote um from the book it says in the context of marriage this fixer thinking places the wife's focus on someone else's failures and needs, which she can do very little, if anything, about. Further, it takes her focus off of her own needs and her own walk with the Lord, which she can do something about. And I think that really kind of takes us into the the more helper mentality, um, which in scripture, the I tried to look up the pronunciation of this before this podcast. Uh, Azer, I think, is the way that it's written in the Hebrew, is the word for helper. And what that means is indispensable partner or support. And it's the same word that God uses to describe his own help and support of us, mm. um, which I think is so beautiful. And you see that describing the woman in the in the marriage relationship in Genesis 2.18, where it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper for him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Azer is the same word used to describe God's relationship to us. And we see that like an example is Psalm 33, 20, where it says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, Azer, and our shield. Um, so it's like we were specifically created to co- cooperate and partner with man in making God known and bringing him glory. Um, and it's like, how do we do that? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a fine line. Like you were saying, it's it's, you know— easy to see how we can go from trying to be a helper and having those intentions and turning into a fixer or turning into like wanting to just totally control or change the situation um, or the person. But I think that, you know, one way that as Christian women, we can be helpers to our partners is by spending time with the Lord ourselves and by walking in what God has 
placed on our lives and in like being obedient to that and being in the word of God and in prayer, um, just that alone, like just investing in your relationship with God and your spiritual well-being, I think just directly impacts your ability to support your husband and, and love him well without like these strings attached to Mm -hmm. it. Like I'm going to love you to manipulate you to do something for me, you know, like that, that's easy to do sadly enough. Um, and so I think that like, we have to be recentering ourselves on Christ to be able to even have capacity to love our husbands in a selfless way. Right. Yeah. And it kind of, you have to ask your question, like, again, where's that source of life coming for from you? Is it from your husband? Because if it is, you're, you are going to have all these standards that you expect him to meet and like boxes that you want him to check so that you can be okay. But reality is like when he doesn't check those boxes, are you going to still be okay? And the way that you make sure that you are still healthy and like thriving on your own is by finding your source of joy and satisfaction and health in Christ. And only you can cultivate that. Like, don't depend on your husband for your own walk with the Lord to be healthy. Mm. Um, I think that's a trap that a lot of us can fall into. I think especially when you hear, you know, like husbands are supposed to lead the family spiritually. Well, yes, but like they are not responsible for your walk with Jesus entirely. That's so true. Um, so I think that's something to be just aware of, you know, as as we are w- wives. Um, and like you said, Mary, like it does have a lot of power uh, when when our husbands observe that in us. Um, we see that in First Peter 3 verses 1 through 4. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Yeah, I love that. It just speaks to, you know, actions do speak louder than words. And when you're, again, living in, you're living with the person, you're in such close quarters and just every part of your life is connected to the other person. So especially that relationship, your actions are going to speak so much louder than your words. And I love like it, you know, took me a while to really understand what the scripture means by having a gentle and quiet spirit, because I think we can sometimes think like, oh, but if my personality is more loud and goofy, like myself, (laughs) that I'm not, you know, walking in that gentleness and quietness. But I think that, you know, that's been described to me as more so like your inner spirit like your heart is at rest and you Mm. you're at peace and you're in confidence in Christ you're not having to like strive to find your own identity in your husband and therefore like you can just have the gentleness and quietness of spirit not being so anxious and controlling and like naggy you know what I mean like all of those things would be contrary to that um so it doesn't mean like don't be yourself and like you know fun or whatever but I think like just not striving. You're not striving. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's really beautiful to your husband. Like yeah. I, feel, I feel like that'd be very attractive if I were totally. a husband. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Confidence. <I'm>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, just like, I don't know, when your husband sees that you are satisfied and you yeah. are steady and, you know, you have that peace about you. I think that's a really attractive thing. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. And I, I like what you said too. Like, don't, idolize your husband um I think that's really tempting yes before marriage and during marriage yeah (laughs) I know yeah and I think it's just like 
marriage kind of reveals how much you do idolize. You could idolize your husband. I know that's been something in my life I've had to work through is like just like realizing he's in need of grace just as much as I am and vice versa. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that, you know, you can idolize, we can really idolize anyone. And I think like when, again, when you get married and you see like, okay, that person is not perfect. They're not this like up on a pedestal person that I thought. Um, And so that kind of, I think that like you can idolize someone by thinking like, oh my gosh, they're just like the perfect, the perfect guy or the perfect person. But then on the flip side, I think like even when then you do start seeing all of their mess kind of come out, you can also idolize, like, I think this thing we're talking about trying to control and fix our husbands, like, is a form of idolatry too. Mm. Because that could be, that's just placing way too much emphasis on things we can't control about the person. And we're still in a way, like, too preoccupied with it. Yeah. So it's still, still an idol, I think, like, in the same, you know, how you can think of, I've heard like pride is either thinking too highly of yourself or too low of yourself, you know, like either one gets into like a sinful range. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it does a disservice to like him and yourself and Jesus (laughs) when you do that and you like put him on that pedestal um, because it doesn't give him room to be broken or him room to experience grace and sanctification because you're like well let me be your holy spirit i'm gonna point out your sin and we're gonna fix it for you uh sorry no that's not our role (laughs) yeah absolutely so some questions to consider having to do with this lie um so ask yourself these questions if you are married Um, have i come to believe that the problems in my marriage are totally or mostly my husband's fault Am I being honest and humble about how my responses or spirit could have contributed to the breach in our relationship? And am I willing for God to use me as an instrument of grace in my husband's life? Those are really good evaluation questions to ask yes. myself. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So the next lie we have is my husband is supposed to serve me. <sighs> if only. <laughs> Come up to my tower and bring me <laughs> breakfast in bed. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. No. Okay. So if we look at Jesus, right, what do we see him do? He he is serving us. He's serving people. He knows his status, but he's willing to serve. Um, and that doesn't demean him, but that is a choice that he makes. And so I think um, we need to kind of look at Jesus and see, like, what is our approach to serving our own husbands mm-hmm. and not feeling this, like, entitlement? Um, I mean, yes, your husband should be serving you ideally in a healthy marriage. But if you're only fixated on what he's doing for you, you're missing out on what you're, you could be doing for him. Okay. And guess what? what? Sometimes when my husband does serve me, I still like get nitpicky about how. Ooh, <laughs> that's real talk. <laughs> that's real talk. So like I need to cool it with that because yeah, I'll give some real talk. Um, as we've talked about previously, um, my life got more hectic last year when I started grad school and was still working. And so, you know, my husband and I had the conversation of like how to kind of help me, which is really nice. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, so that means that like things around the house, like just simply like he'll unload the dishwasher or go grocery shopping, whatever, just some little things to take off my plate. But it's crazy how quick I am to get judgmental about like how he's doing that. I'll be like, do you seriously not know where the strainer goes? You know, <laughs> when it's like, why does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> He's helping. I didn't have to put the strainer away. <laughs> but I think that, like, that was even eye-opening for me that, like, oh, my gosh, I just need to cool it. I need yeah. to chill out because, even like, this is what 
I want, you know, like I want him to be helping and just just let him do it. Yeah. And you know what? I was just when I was thinking about this lie, I was like, I feel like I believe other like lies that go along with this of like one, my husband can read my mind and knows exactly <laughs> how I what I want and what I need. Yes. <laughs> and exactly how to f- like fulfill those things. Yeah. Um, which is not true. Like if I do have a genuine need, I should probably communicate that to him and that is that will help. Um yeah. and then another thing I realize I believe is like if I just wait like I have this need and if I just like wait for him to do it then he will (laughs) he'll eventually get the hint if I just like wait um which and then I kind of find myself falling into like this keeping score thing of like if I have unloaded the dishwasher if I've done the laundry if I've vacuumed I'll wait because he should know it's his turn yeah (laughs) which um yeah isn't that like the best approach to that and I think that also just like shows pride like I'm I'm doing it well I'm obsessing over his track record Mm -hmm. I'm keeping score and you know it kind of I feel like I kind of give myself permission to fall behind in my own service towards him when I'm keeping score and I'm like oh I'm ahead in the game yeah like a scoreboard (laughs) yeah it's crazy how you can be like just expect the other person to know what you want and what you need and just expect them like I mean and and sometimes I'll find myself being like well like I just want you to do it without me asking yeah (laughs) and of course like yeah I still want him to do it without me asking but at the end of the day like it doesn't hurt to ask like that's okay that's what I think that's what you have to do in a healthy marriage is just communicate exactly you just have to communicate what what you need in the moment and like Sometimes you're surprised at how quick they are to do that. Mm-hmm. You're like, why was I upset at all? Yeah. <laughs> They're so willing to serve. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, Romans 12.10 is just kind of one of those verses that I think is challenging. Um, it says, love one another with bro- brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And it's like, okay, am I having that mentality of like, I want to outdo Ethan in showing him honor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a challenge. <laughs> In our premarital counseling, uh, I'll never forget this, The we had our um, college pastor and his wife counsel us before getting married, and his wife said just a really short phrase, but I'll always remember it. She says, race each other to the cross. Mm. Like, try and beat the other person there in your grace, in your service, in your understanding, in your forgiveness, like in every way. Try and beat the other person to the cross. And that's just a really, I think it's like a short and sweet phrase that I'll always take with me. So thank you, Ashley Welling. Yeah, you know, I like that. Okay, a phrase I've said just, you know, as I've been married, I said marriage is like a sprint towards each other. But, you know, if you're sprinting towards each other, I guess you're eventually going to collide. You're going to collide. (laughs) Uh, So I like your analogy better. (laughs) Yeah, there's the cross, a nice cushiony cross in between you so that you collide with that, not each other. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) So a question to consider with this lie would be, am I more interested in getting our problems solved and my needs met than in the process of restoration and sanctification? That is a real talk question to ask yourself. <laughs> it is. That's a hard one because I think, I mean, obviously, sanctification is not a fun process. No. It's usually not, you know, comfortable. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard marriage is one of the most sanctifying things you could ever experience. Yeah. Which, yeah, that seems about right. That seems right. Yeah. All right, so the next lie is if my husband is passive, I've got to take the initiative or nothing will get done. Oh, gosh, we're crazy. <laughs> We're crazy. 
Why do you say we're crazy, Mary? Because <laughs> <laughs> we just like, I mean, certainly this isn't everyone out there, but we just have such a, a need to control everything. Like, we think we're the savior of the world and we're not. Yeah. Mm. Go, go back and listen to episodes one and two to hear more about <laughs> lies we believe about God and ourselves. Because yes. it all boils down to that. It does. We think we're God. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good summary of like this whole chapter. Like, we think we're God. <laughs> Great. We think that we're the Holy Spirit. We have the same name as him, right? <laughs> Azer. Azer. Right. No. Okay. So one of the main things that she talked about in this chapter was submission, the big S word, right? Um and she, she listed out a few other lies about submission that I thought were helpful just to kind of get this conversation flowing. Uh, it says the wife is inferior to the husband. That is a lie, by the way. Um, <laughs> the other lies are the principle of submission gives husbands the right to be harsh or dictatorial. Did I say that right? Dictatorial? Uh, like a dictator. Yeah, with their wives. The third one is a submissive wife can't provide input or express her opinions to her husband. And the fourth one is the husband is always right. Well, I think we can safely say all of those are lies. Lies. Yes. Lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And another thing she brought up was like submission to God was the first sin that Satan lured Eve to break. Mm. And so like our default is to not submit. So like, of course, this is going to be a hard topic for us to talk about. Yeah. Because it's just it's it's hard for us. It was the first thing we were tempted to do is not submit. I think that the lie that I tend to believe about the concept of submission is that first one, that it means that somehow I'm inferior to my husband, which is just not true. We, we in fact, see in a lot of places in Scripture where God calls people to submit not at all based on, like, qualifications or um, someone being inf- inferior or someone being lesser than or weaker. It's not about that. I think that that's a way that Satan has really twisted that word submission to to make it seem like the person submitting is less than the person they're submitting to. But we just don't see that. And first and foremost, we don't see that with Jesus. Yeah. He's, you know, he submit and he was the ultimate person who should be submitted to, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I feel like we have to look at Jesus there because it's like he— it wasn't a question of whether or not he submitted. His whole life was in submission to God's will, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And he even submitted to earthly authorities and to his disciples. Like, he, yeah. he lived this out as just, like, the rhythm of his life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not, like, a binding thing. That was a choice he made, and it brought him joy to do that. Like, even, you know, he says, for the joy set before me, he endured the cross. Yeah. So it, it does bring joy. It is a choice, and it doesn't reflect, like, your value. Yeah. And I think that something that was so great that in the book, the author Nancy talks about in in almost a humorous way. (laughs) She says at one point, we can't insist on running the show and then expect men to be proactive, take initiative and be spiritual leaders. (laughs) It's like you can't submit and have this like huge control complex at the same time. Um, That's going to that's going to blow up in your face. You know, And so I think like part of what we've talked about of being that support person, being that helper, um, that is a way that we're submitting to our husbands and, and ultimately a way we're submitting to Christ, which is really the point. That's the bottom line with this one is that we're called to submit to Christ. And so if he's designed marriage in a way where wives are to submit to their husbands, um, that's our obedience to Christ, right. not to, you know, whatever we've made up in our minds of this like oppressive thing. Yeah. And that's not to say, like, I think we do have to make that disclaimer. Like if your husband is leading you into sin or if your husband is being abusive, 
No, that is not, yeah. we are not saying submit to that. That's wrong. Right. That's sinful. Um, we're talking about like a healthy gospel-centered submission where yeah. you're, you know, that those other things are not present. And so, yeah, there is that disclaimer. Like if you are in a situation like that, like s- reach out to your church, reach out to us, reach out to, you know, there's local um, authority, if you need the authorities, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's there's help that is out there. So we encourage you, if you are in that situation, reach out for help. Yeah, you submit to God first. And so I think that's a great distinction that like God does not approve of abuse. He doesn't approve just like that one lie of like your husband being harsh or yeah, that's a great distinction. Yeah. But in terms of healthy submission, I I loved this quote. It's a little long, um, but this was one of the best quotes I think I've heard about submission in marriage. Um, it's from the book, The True Woman by Susan Hunt. Um, so it really sums up the heart here. So I just want to read it and then I'd love to talk about it. Um, It says, I cannot give logical arguments for submission. It defies logic that Jesus would release all the glories of heaven so he could give us the glory of heaven. Submission is not about logic. It is about love. Mm. Jesus loved us so much that he voluntarily submitted to death on a cross. His command is that wives are to submit to their husbands. It is a gift that we voluntarily give to the man we have vowed to love in obedience to the Savior we love. God said that man needs a helper. The true woman celebrates this calling and becomes affirming rather than adversarial, compassionate rather than controlling, a partner rather than a protagonist. She becomes substantively (laughs) better than superficially submissive. The true woman is not afraid to place herself in a position of submission. She does not have to grasp. She does not have to control. Her fear dissolves in the light of God's covenant promise to be her God and to live within her. Mm -hmm. Submission is simply a demonstration of her confidence in the sovereign power of the Lord God. Submission is a reflection of her redemption. Wow. I know. I just got chills. Right? That's really good. That is the best definition of submission I think I have ever heard. I think me too. That's really good. And, you know, I think that I just lost my thought. Never mind. <laughs> It'll come back maybe. <laughs> I don't know what I think. It's okay. Maybe you're just, you know, you, you're shocked speechless with that. I'm speechless. <laughs> what a powerful quote. <laughs> yeah, but I think I one thing I love about that is it's part of our sanctification process is to submit because it is so against our, like, sinful nature to rebel and to control but to submit – it produces fruit of like patience and love and gentleness and grace and, you know, all those things that are not natural to us. And so we know that submission is part of our sanctification of becoming more like Jesus, um, which hopefully is an exciting thing. Yeah. I thought of what I was going to say. I knew you would. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of the first Peter verse earlier about having that like gentle confidence in God, not in your husband, in God. And that's what makes you able to submit because it's not up to you to control the outcome. It's not up to you to like even prove yourself in a marriage. I think that like we can try so hard to fulfill our own identities in our marriages and that's not, that's not the point and that's not up to us. And so just ties back in to that, that godly woman that's described in first Peter and how, you know, that peace of our spirits in in Christ gives us, you know, the ability to just be confident. Right. Yeah. So we asked a question to each other before this. What do we do if our husbands are 
passive or not leading spiritually or fill in the blank, you know, just like not easy to submit to, I guess, if you want to fill in the blank generally with that. I mean, what do you think? I don't know what I think. Um, I ask this question a lot. I think that I still struggle with the answer to that. Um, But I have to come back to God knew what he was doing when he put these verses about submission in his word. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that he expected that every husband was going to feel like that every husband was going to be in our eyes easy to submit to. Mm -hmm. I think that he's got a plan for submission and it ultimately does have to do with being a picture of Christ. And so our obedience to that in that submission is to him. Um, That's as good as I got. I mean, I think that we just have to center back and like trust his word is good and trust that he knows what he's doing with that picture of submission. Yeah. And I think we have to remember too that our husbands are in the sanctification process as well. Yeah. So yeah, they're called to lead, but they are not like, they don't enter into marriage like knowing exactly what that looks like. Yeah. Um, and so as their helper, like we are, I, I would hope that we would have that perspective of like helping our husbands learn what it looks like to become that spiritual leader and not always being so like uh, critical of them trying that because if we are critical of their attempts to lead even if it's imperfect which it will be um that's gonna really demoralize them yeah and i think that is just fatal yeah (laughs) because you know the the more that happens the less and less they're going to take that step of faith and then the less and less they will be sanctified because they're not being um given the opportunity by us as their wives Mm -hmm. to do that. So I think, yeah, if we can have that perspective of, okay, our husbands are in process too, just like we are in process, then that will help us with this question of like, what do we do when our husbands are not really there doing, Mm -hmm. you know, living out the way God has called them to live? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have, you know, this verse, Psalm 37, that, um, through verses 1 through 11, this is kind of abbreviated through through that, but I think that it speaks to what we're talking about. Um, so it says, fret not yourself, trust in the Lord and do good. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So I think that that is a great way to remember, just like you're saying, Brooke, trust that the Lord is working in your husband. Pray for him. Pray for your marriage. Pray that you'll have the, you know, humility to submit out of love, not out of obligation. Um, And I just love that, like, speaking into God will do the work. Mm -hmm. He's going to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes back to what we said. What we can control is our prayer life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And are we praying those things that God would work? Yeah. And that, I think, leads into the questions we have for you to reflect on is uh, the first question is, have I left God out of the picture? Do I believe he has good and holy purposes for me, for my husband, and for our marriage? Which is a really good question to ask. And then the other one is, do I believe that the difficulties in our marriage, including my husband's flaws, could contribute toward those purposes? Mm -hmm. So it's all that sanctification stuff. It is. It's hard to, like, think about how getting to a really solid place in your marriage is likely to include hardships Mm. (laughs) and is likely to include difficulties. Um, So that's a really good one. Do I believe those difficulties in our marriage are, could be the things that produce God's good purposes? Yeah. And reality is, I think it's like a necessary thing. Like difficulties are necessary to really root out sin, to expose things and to 
um, provide opportunity for new growth to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of helps frame the next lie where the next lie we have is there's no hope for my marriage. Mm. And I mean, we just got to say like, difficulties are real. There are real pains in marriage. Yeah. And, you know, from the get go, from that wedding day, Satan wants to attack your marriage and destroy it. Yeah. And so I think we've got to We've got to have that framework when we approach this lie of like, yes, we are like there's a full on attack against our marriage, but that doesn't mean that there's no hope for it. Yeah. And I think that one great way to try and counter those attacks is to simply remember that you and your husband are on the same team. Yeah. (laughs) Like sometimes that's something that we just have to say if we're in some type of hardship because it can difficulties and like trials can so easily turn you against the other person. And just by simply remembering like, no, wait, we love each other. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're on the same team here. Even if we've got different opinions or perspectives, like we are a unit, we're unified. And I think that that's always going to be a better front (laughs) against spiritual attacks than just pointing the finger at the other person. Yeah. And, you know, there's this, um, so me and Ethan went to like an engagement camp (laughs) while we were engaged and we did this, like, obstacle course. I think we had to, like, literally climb over a wall, if wow. I'm remembering correctly. Engagement boot camp. It really was, <laughs> actually. You know, it felt that way. Um, but, yeah, so I remember the lesson behind that was whatever's in, like, whatever the issue is, like, you have to tackle that issue together. Like, mm. the other person is not the obstacle. There's... The wall is the obstacle. Yeah. The issue you're dealing with is the obstacle, and you're going to get through it together. Um, and just remembering, yeah, like you're on the same team, and there's just an outside obstacle that you have to deal with. Wow, they knew what they were doing at that camp. They did, yeah. That's smart. You know, I don't remember if we got over the wall or not, but <laughs> here we are. Here you are, still married. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think I want to share some, like, upfront, like, just ground rules, I think, for marriage that are helpful that I— I know that I struggled to like hold on to, but I think these are really important things. So the first one is assume the best, like assume, like I went to a wedding recently with one of my friends, you were there too. Um, (laughs) But um, one thing they said was, I will, I I vow to remember your heart is always for me. Mm. And I was just like, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And because it's, you know, it's one of those easy things to Believe the lie that it's not. Yeah. And so assume the best. Assume that your your spouse's heart is always for you. And then the other one is communicate honestly and graciously. Um, you know, that's one thing that I feel like I've had to really grow in is communicating honestly. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, graciously too, but I think mostly honestly. Yeah. Um, because I want to assume that my husband knows exactly what I'm feeling. And I just, you know. I don't take it upon myself to communicate what I'm really feeling. Um, the other one is choose to forgive and let it go. Yeah. Don't let bitterness take root in your heart. Keyword, um, choose. Choose. Choose to forgive. Mm. You might not want to. You might not feel it, but choose to forgive. It's just as much for you as it is the other person. Yeah. It's so freeing. It is. And then the last one is look at what you can own before pointing the finger. Mm -hmm. Because I think in marriage, it's so easy to keep your finger uh, forever pointed. Yeah. (laughs) But just turn that finger around and point it at yourself first. And I think that really diffuses a lot of arguments that could be. (laughs) Um, When you start with 
I can own this. Yeah. And then you can share honestly about how you feel. But if you first just focus on the other person's sin, then that's just, I mean, that's not always helpful. Yeah. And like choose to kind of in the same way that scripture says God gives us new mercies every day, like give those new mercies to your husband every day. Mm -hmm. Don't hold those grudges. I think like, like you said, Brooke earlier, don't have that tally sheet in your head of all the ways that like they didn't measure up. Um, cause that'll again, be fatal to, to them and you and mm-hmm. your relationship. And is that in scripture? Love holds no records of wrong, wrongs. Yeah. That's the like first Corinthians verse that every passage. marriage, every wedding. Has. We'll see there some wisdom for you too. Yeah. But it's true. Don't, don't hold that. Choose exactly. Choose to let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so some questions we have, you know, and you know, I want to say, like, there are marriages that are in crisis that do need outside help. And so if you are in that crisis situation, or even if you're not, you know, like, marriage counseling is a really good thing Mm -hmm. that God has blessed us with. Or even just seeking out, like, a mentor couple that you can, like, say, hey, like, could you just speak into our lives? Because you've gone through a few more years of marriage than we have. You've probably walked through really similar things that we have as well. Um, So I encourage you, like, get other people speaking into your marriage because I think it can be kind of an echo chamber if it's just you and your husband trying to figure out your issues together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there are issues for a reason because you don't have the answers probably. So like seek out answers from people who've walked the path before you. Look to scripture. If counseling is something you guys need to do, then like do it. There's no, like counseling's good. No shame. No shame. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. With some questions just to leave you with with this lie is, do I believe that God is able to transform this mess into something of beauty and worth as a testimony of his power? Mm. And in wanting, and then this is one I think for like very seriously in crisis marriages, in wanting it out of this marriage, am I elevating my personal happiness above what God has to say about the permanence of marriage vows and the seriousness of breaking those vows? So yeah, that's a, that's like really like you're at that point where you believe there's no hope for your marriage. Like mm-hmm. really evaluate those things and believe in God's power to bring healing and restoration. Yeah. I think marriage is one of those things that it needs the power of God and it can be easy to lose hope when when you're really in a difficult spot or like you were saying in crisis um, and just believing that God is able to restore and redeem and he can do it. Mm-hmm. Totally. So we wanted to leave you guys with just a a nice list of truths to consider, um, godly truths to think about in your own marriages. Um, So we're just going to read those for you now. Um, The first truth to consider is there is no marriage God cannot heal. There is no person God cannot change. That is so hard to believe sometimes, but it is true. Mm -hmm. The second one is the ultimate purpose of marriage is to glorify God and reflect his redeeming covenant love. Mm. The next one is our spouse's weaknesses can become a tool in God's hand to help conform us to the image of Christ. Sanctification. (laughs) The next one is true love, God's love, is is unconditional and never fails. We cannot love a sinful human being that way on our own, but God can love anyone through us if we are willing to let him. Love is not a feeling. It is a commitment to act in the best interests of another by God's grace, we can choose to love another, love anyone, even if we do not have warm feelings toward that person. Mm-hmm. The next one is God is a covenant-keeping God. 
He kept his promises to the nation of Israel, even when they were spiritually adulterous and pursued other lovers. Jesus is faithful to his bride, the church, even when we are unfaithful to him. Marriage is intended to be a picture of the covenant-keeping love of God and the redemptive relationship between Christ and his people. As Christ's suffering was the means by which we were healed, so your faithfulness and willingness to extend sacrificial love to your spouse may be the means of his restoration. God's grace is sufficient to enable you to be faithful to your spouse and to love and forgive without limit. Regardless of what you may go through in your marriage or what your mate may do to you, God will never forsake you. He will always be with you. And then the last one, the rewards of faithfulness in this life may not be fully experienced until eternity, but every moment of faithfulness will be rewarded and it will be worth the wait. Aw, worth the wait. <laughs> Sorry, I, just, I just thought that was cute. <laughs> but that is always good perspective. Like we really, with so many things in life, including difficulties in marriage, like we're not always going to see the fruits of that. We're not always going to see the fruits of being faithful, um, but eternally we will. Right. Yeah. And so we hope that those truths were encouraging. I mean, we took those straight from the book because we thought they were all so good. (laughs) and We just had to share them with you. They're such good reminders of, you know, when these lies creep in to our heads of like, no, let's combat those with truth. Yeah. So we wanted to leave you with a fighter verse like we always do. And I was just thinking about Psalm 34. And really, I think this whole Psalm (laughs) uh, is a really good thing to come back to when we're struggling with believing these lies about marriage. Um, But specifically verses 10 or 9 and 10, (laughs) I reversed those numbers on my notes, verses 10 and 9. Um, But it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him or woman. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack um, and I think that just I, I chose that because I feel like it speaks to that satisfaction in Jesus alone and how when we ha- are completely satisfied in him, we taste and see that he is good. It doesn't matter if we're married or not, if our marriage is going good or not, like we have no lack because we have Jesus. So that's yeah. what I want to leave you with. And as always, we want to encourage you, if you are feeling like you're really struggling in your marriage, please talk to someone. Um, I know Brooke or I and I'm sure so many other um, people at our church would be more than willing to talk with you, to meet with you, and just pray with you, um, be there to support you in whatever way we can. But we know that marriage is from God, and it is it is a holy thing. And um, so we just encourage you, reach out um, if you are struggling or if you want someone to talk to. And we hope that this was encouraging to you. I know it was encouraging to me. And mm-hmm. hopefully in the next five years, the next 20 years— <laughs> can be made more like Christ in our marriages. Totally. So we'll see you next time on Real Talk with Real Women. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk with Real Women podcast. We'll see you next month.